All right, everybody, welcome back. In this episode, we're going to take Second Chronicles chapter 3, the building of the temple. All right, and we're going to talk about where and when the temple construction began. We'll just start with the first verse. It's a good place to start. The location of the temple. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David at the place that David had prepared on the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. So, this place had been previously identified as the threshing floor of Ornan the Jebusite. Here, it is specifically located as Mount Moriah. This was the same hill where Abraham offered Isaac in Genesis chapter 22, verse 2, and the same set of hills where Jesus would later die on the cross in Genesis chapter 22, verse 14. So where Isaac, as a type of Christ, bore the wood, obeyed his father, and should have been sacrificed, Calvary, where our Savior suffered, was either a part of this mount or very near unto it. So this is when the actual construction began. All David's prior plans and preparations anticipated the actual beginning of the work. One can plan and prepare endlessly and never begin to build, but Solomon began to build the house of the Lord. All right, verse 2, when the construction began. And he began to build on the second day of the second month in the fourth year of his reign. So this was probably in the year 967 B.C., connecting this with 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 1. This marking point will show us how long Israel lived in the promised land without a temple. The tabernacle served the nation well for more than 400 years. The prompting to build the temple was more at the direction and will of God than out of absolute necessity. So the fourth year of his reign, this doesn't mean that Solomon delayed his obedience for four years. He probably started to organize the work right away. There is some evidence that it took three years just to prepare the timber from Lebanon for use in the building. So if Solomon began the construction of the temple in the fourth year of his reign, he probably started organizing construction in the very first year of his reign. So he waited four years to begin, and according to the some uh, chronological calculations, it would be about 966 B.C. The author of First and Second Kings added the interesting fact that this was 480 years after the Exodus, an event which would then be dated at 1446 B.C. in First Kings chapter six, verse one. So let's look at an overview. We're going to get the tabernacle. The first temple is Solomon's temple. The second temple is. Zerubbabel's or Herod's temple and the third temple uh, is yet to come and we get Ezekiel's temple here. So tabernacle the house of blood. In addition to the famed two tablets of the law Moses also received a set of engineering specifications for a portable sanctuary. The scriptures devote more space to the description of the tabernacle than any other subject. So the tabernacle uh, you can look at the structure, the furniture, the priesthood, and the offerings are outlined in Leviticus. Uh, the material symbolism here, brass was a symbol of fire and judgment. Gold was a symbolism of deity. Silver was the symbolism of blood, right? Silver, you had the redemption shekel, right? Jesus was betrayed by 30 pieces of betrayal silver. So you had the temple preparations, the cedars of Lebanon versus a coarser sycamore, uh, Hiram's friendship with David. In the tabernacle, you had the entry to the tabernacle. On the left, you'd have the menorah. On the right, you'd have the table of showbread. Ahead of it, you would have the golden altar. And then in the Holy of Holies, a place in the back, you'd have the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant, right? And it would be covered by a veil, and only the high priest could go in. The temple, on the other hand, had an outer court with the molten sea, Right? You had the Holocaust uh, altar. You had the lavers of bronze out front. 
And then you had the inner court, which surrounded the temple, the holy place with the exact same setup as the tabernacle, and then the holy of holies where the Shekinah glory and the mercy seat and the Ark of the Covenant is. So the temple, its preparation, Cedars of Lebanon, Hiram's friendship with David. The design was given to David by God. They had 183,300 workforce, 30,000 men, right? Which 10,000 uh, a month, I believe, is a shift. 70,000 carriers, 80,000 hewers in the mountains, and 3,300 for supervision. Let's look at our personal architecture. Seven times the Bible declares you are the temple of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 9 through 17, chapter 6, verse 19, 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 16, Ephesians chapter 2, verses 20 and 21, Hebrews chapter 3, verse 6, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, and 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 17. The greatest commandment. We are instructed to love God with all of our heart, our soul, our strength, and mind. You can see Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, and Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. What does this mean? You can't determine the architecture of software by external means, right? You need the designer's manual. All right, let's take verses 3 through 7, and we'll talk about the building in general. This is the foundation which Solomon laid for building the house of God. The length was 60 cubits by cubits according to the former measure, and the width 20 cubits. And the vestibule that was in front of the sanctuary was 20 cubits long across the width of the house, and the height was 120. He overlaid the inside with pure gold. The larger room he paneled with cypress, which he had overlaid with fine gold, and he carved palm trees and chain work on it. And he decorated the house with precious stones for beauty, and the gold was gold from Paravane. He also overlaid the house, the beams, and the doorposts, its walls and doors, with gold, and he carved cherubim on the walls. So this chapter will describe the building of the temple and its associated areas. There are four main structures described. You have the temple proper, the foundation which Solomon laid. It was divided into two rooms, the holy place and the most holy place, the holy of holies. You have the vestibule or entrance hall on the east gate, or the east side of the temple proper, right? The vestibule that was in front of the sanctuary. It was about 30 feet, 10 meters wide, and 15 feet, 5 meters deep, and the same height as the temple proper. Its height measurement should read 20 cubits high, as against a literal translation of, um, and its height of at 120. So you also have the three-storied side chambers described in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 5, which surrounded the temple proper on the north, south, and west sides. You have a large courtyard surrounding the whole structure, and the inner court is mentioned in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 36. All right. So he decorated the house with precious stones for beauty. This is one description among many that give us an idea of how beautiful the temple was and how Solomon spared no expense in making it beautiful. The reference to precious stones may suggest mosaics inlaid in the floor. So the cherubim on the walls. This was after the pattern of the tabernacle, which had woven designs of cherubim on the inner covering. Therefore, when one entered the temple, they saw cherubim all around, as one would see in heaven. In Psalm 80, verse 1, Isaiah chapter 37, verse 16, and Ezekiel chapter 10, verse 3. These angelic beings worship God perpetually in heaven. One might say that we don't worship angels, but we do worship with them, right? Because they are also worshiping God, those that are obedient, that is. 
All right, verses 8 through 14, the most holy place, right? The holy of holies. And he made the most holy place. Its length was according to the width of the house, 20 cubits, and its width, 20 cubits. And he overlaid it with 600 talents of fine gold. The weight of the nails was 50 shekels of gold. And he overlaid the upper area with gold. And the most holy place he made two cherubim, fashioned by carving, and overlaid them with gold. The wings of the cherubim were 20 cubits in overall length. One wing of one cherubim was was five cubits touching the wall of the room and the other wing was five cubits touching the wing of the other cherub one wing of the other cherub was five cubits touching the wall of the room and the other wing was also five cubits touching the wing of the other cherub the wings of these cherubim spanned 20 cubits overall they stood on their feet they faced inward and he made the veil of blue purple crimson and fine linen and wove cherubim onto it or into it so the whole, most holy place, special attention was given to the Holy of Holies or the most holy place. It was a 30-foot or 10-meter cube completely overlaid with gold. It had two large sculptures of cherubim, 15-foot or 5 meters in height, which were also overlaid with gold. And he uh, used 600 talents of fine gold. There was gold everywhere in the temple, but especially in the most holy place. The walls were covered with gold in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20 through 22. The floor was covered with gold in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 30. And gold was hammered into the carvings on the doors in 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 32. So there was gold everywhere on the inside of the temple. Such was Christ's inside in Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. In his outside was no such desirable beauty. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 2. So the church's glory is inward, Psalm 45, verse 13. In the hidden man of the heart, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 4. So the cherubim, two of them, fashion and carving. These two large sculptures inside the most holy place face the entrance to this inner room. So as soon as the high priest entered, he saw these giant guardians of the presence of God facing him. Right? If it were image work, uh, cherubim were made like boys. Yet this is no plea for popish images, since they are flatly forbidden. And God made the law for us, not for Himself. Right? When we think when we think of cherubs, um, cherub being singular, cherubim being plural. There's no cherubims. Cherubim is plural. Um, these are super angels. They're not to be messed with. They're not the Renaissance chunky little babies flying around with a bow and arrow. These are you're, these are not to be messed with. These are higher echelon angels, right? So we made the veil. This was an important barrier separating the holy place from the most holy place. Only one man once a year could go behind the veil and enter the most holy place. To most Israelites, therefore, the temple was an temple was an unseen world. God had drawn near to them, but the way to him was hedged around with many restrictions. Spiritually speaking, in dying for our sins, Jesus, with his own blood, entered the most holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. In the temple, this veil was torn from top to bottom at the death of Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, showing that through his death, there is no longer a barrier to the most holy place. Now, the most holy place is open to us, right? Brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ, by a new and living way, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20. The torn veil of Matthew chapter 27, verse 51, also symbolizes the broken body of Jesus. 
through which we have access to the most holy place. And what a privilege that is. All right, verses 15 through 17, you get the pillars of the temple. Also, he made in front of the temple two pillars, 35 cubits high. And the capital that was on top of each of them was five cubits. And he made wreaths of chain work, as in the inner sanctuary, and put them on top of the pillars. And he made 100 pomegranates and put them on wreaths of chain work. Then he set up the pillars before the temple, one on the right hand and the other on the left. And he called the name of the one on the right hand, Jachin, and the name of the one on the left, Boaz. You'll remember that from the book of Ruth. All right, these two pillars. First Kings chapter 7, verse 15 will tell us that these pillars were actually made of bronze. They were two very impressive adornments to the front of the temple. So the one was Jachin and the other was Boaz. These two pillars were so impressive that they were actually given names. Jachin means he shall establish. And Boaz, of course, means in strength. And you'll remember Boaz from the book of Ruth. Every time someone came into the house of the Lord in the days of Solomon, they said, Look, there is he shall establish, and there is in him is strength. It set them in the right frame of mind to worship the Lord. When the crowds gathered at the morning and evening sacrifice to worship the Lord, the Levites led the people standing in front of the temple with these two great bronze pillars behind them. It was always before them. He shall establish, and in him is strength. One could say that the house of God itself was Jachin and Boaz, that the temple was established by God and built by the strength of God. Every time they looked at the temple, they knew that God liked to establish and strengthen things. And the house of God was a place where people experienced what the pillars were all about. At that house, people were established in their relationship with God. And at that house, people were given strength from the Lord. From this building, it should go out to the whole community. Come here and get established. Come here and receive the strength of God. And that'll, chi- that'll tie up chapter 3. Uh, next time we'll get into chapter 4 and we're going to speak about the temple furnishings. All right. Thank you for joining me.